DW Africa Link. It's 5 p.m. here in Bonn, 4 p.m. in Accra, Ghana, and 6 p.m. in Kenya. Hello and welcome to the program that digs deep into the latest news from Africa and beyond. My name is Michael Oti. And Michael Oti is with Jojo Kachi. Join us on our Facebook page, DW Africa, and share your thoughts on the stories that we are covering. Here is what's coming up. On the program today, the fate of rare African animals and plants hang in the balance in the Congo Basin. We find out the cause. Unfortunately, the rate of deforestation in the Congo Basin forest has increased at an alarming rate. So on the program, COP28 starts today and Africa will be making its case for big polluters to contribute more towards reducing the effects of climate change. But how can African negotiators get the world to listen? There is no narrative better than evidence. Africa should begin to invest in science, get our own data, and be able to make a case based on our own circumstances. If we allow people to tell us what is happening in Africa based on their own scientific inquiry, then definitely they will detect the case. Stay tuned for the details of these stories plus more after the world news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyinge. A court here in Germany has sentenced a Gambian man to life in prison over his role in a death squad that assassinated opponents of former leader Yaya Jame. Bailo was convicted of crimes against humanity, murder and attempted murder for his role as a driver for the hit squad known as Junglers. Among the crime he was linked to was killing of a newspaper editor, Deida Hederer, in his car in 2004. There has been reaction in the Gambia after the ruling, and one of the late journalist's son, Baba Haidara, had this to say. We feel a little bit of relief because we know very well that um, the order came from Jami. And let's say that this is a start of bringing Jami himself to court. Because after Bailo, there's Usman Sonko in Switzerland, And there's also Korea in America, in the U.S. So we hope that all three will be guilty and the next one coming will be Jame. But we are really happy with the just German justice. Israel authorities say at least three people have been killed and more than a dozen injured after gunmen opened fire at a bus stop in Jerusalem. The the militant Islamist group Hamas has claimed responsibility for the shooting. News of the attack came shortly after a truce between Israel and Hamas militants was extended into a seventh day. But will the shooting have any impact on the truce? DW's Ben Afazulin with more from Tel Aviv. Uh, Here in Tel Aviv, I've been uh, talking to families of uh, soldiers, for example, who are hoping the ceasefire will hold. Of course, for the families of uh, hostages, they're absolutely desperate that it holds and that more hostages are released. Uh, As far as the altercation this morning or the uh, shooting... Uh, the deadly shooting. Uh, Qatar has previously said that these are only minor breaches, that all considered minor incidents and not uh, a major breach of this truce. DW Zaben Fazulin there in Tel Aviv. Russia's Supreme Court has declared that the government calls the what the government calls the international LGBT public movement as an extremist organization. The court now has banned all activities or all 
all of its activities in Russia. Rights groups say no such organization exists and there is fear the ruling will be used to target a wide range of activists. They are now or they now face prosecution for something as simple as displaying a rainbow flag. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. The UN COP28 climate conference has opened in Dubai. Governments are preparing for two weeks of talks in hopes of an agreement on phasing out fossil fuels. A record 70,000 participants are expected to attend over the coming days. But there has been criticism of the host country's choice of the man chairing the talks. And a 70-year-old Ugandan woman has given birth to twins, becoming the oldest woman in Africa to give birth. According to doctors, Safina Namukwaya became pregnant through IVF treatment. The Women's Hospital International and Fertility Center in the Ugandan capital Kampala said she delivered a baby boy and a baby girl. Here at DW, we wish um, 70-year-old uh, Safina Namukwaya all the best together with her babies. And with that, you can check more on our website, dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyingi. Indeed, uh, Jen, many thanks for that. And of course, uh, in the same grain, we wish uh, the lady all the best uh, in their new motherhood journey. And of course, to our listeners, thank you for sticking around with us on the program. My name is George Okachi. And my name is Michael Oti. And yes, all of you who are listening on our Facebook page, Joe Mutaboto, Felix Indoor, Clarice, Sir Kenneth Azegba, um, all of you, we appreciate you, David Inchamba. Remember that we are live. If you're listening on the radio, you can also catch us on Facebook, DW Africa. So let's start by looking at what's happening in uh, Dubai, in the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, where the 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference uh, will take place. But first, let's go to Congo. The Congo Basin Rainforest has been described as the second lag of the earth after the Amazon. Mm-hmm. And Michael, new research shows that if the current rate of deforestation continues, about 30% of the forest will be gone in the next 27 years. This means that plants and animals indigenous to this area will be lost and people who depend on this forest will also be affected. And Kilian Ngala emphasizes on that. The rich wildlife that calls Southeast Cameroon home greets me with a symphony of sounds as I make my way through its moist, humid jungle. It's part of the Congo Basin rainforest spanning across six countries. Cameroon, Central African Republic, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Republic of the Congo, Equatorial Guinea and Gabon. Covering an area of about 500 million acres, the forest is home to about 10,000 species of tropical plants, of which 30% are indigenous to the area. Gorillas, chimpanzees, bonobos and forest elephants are among the endangered animals that call the lush forest home. Stella Chukep is a forest campaigner for Greenpeace. The forest of the Congo Basin enable the millions of people who depend on them to meet a wide range of needs, including food, 
shelter and health and to generate income also. Josue Aruna, executive director of the Congo Basin Conservation Society, says the world's second largest river basin can also help quench the thirst of millions of Africans. The fresh water we have in Congo can save African people in some area where we do not have fresh water. But also the land we have where we can do agroecology and save the humanity via sustainable food system. The forest is the world's carbon sink, says Dr. Richard Munang, head of the Global Environment Monitoring Systems at the UN Environment Programme. Africa stores more than 30 billion metric tons of carbon, which is more than all the tropical forests in the Amazon and Asian combined. Cumulatively, the region's untapped potential in voluntary carbon market is estimated at about 7 billion US dollars annually in the next seven years. A level playing field in the global carbon trade that will ensure a fair compensation for this service to the world needs to be a leading priority to incentivize positive actions towards enhancing this carbon sink. The forest fate could, however, be sealed by the roar of the chainsaw. The Congo Basin countries are pursuing rapid economic growth at the expense of the environment. Unfortunately, the rate of deforestation in the Congo Basin forest has increased at an alarming rate. Stella Chukep again. And the main cause of this deforestation is industrial logging and poor governance of the forest sector, which is rife with uh, illegal logging and corruption. The second cause is um, the conversion of forest to agro-industry and mining, all of which deplete forest habitats. Truckloads of logs are transported daily from the forest to the seaports of the area, where they are sold to Asian, American and European markets. These logs serve as a sobering reminder of the forest's ongoing transformation. The voices of indigenous Baka women reverberate throughout the forest, serving as a constant reminder of the loss this carbon sink is experiencing. Go ahead, Oti. Yeah, I mean, uh, listening to that story, George, it just um, reminds me of this, the, the, the injustices that we are visiting on our planet and on our environment. Yeah, and the adverse effects affecting, you know, the Congo Basin. And it's not only this uh, area that is, you know, facing uh, these devastating effects. And uh, the Horn of Africa, Oti, uh, which suffered a drought early this year, is now battling floods. 
we have Somalia, Kenya who are facing extreme weather conditions and in, in way of floods that has caused displacements and massive devastations. Indeed. And although Africa, um, George, is responsible for less than 5% of global emissions, it is disproportionately affected mm. by the negative effects of climate change. So for African countries, fighting climate effects is urgent and a matter of survival. Indeed they are. So what are the big sticking points at this year's COP? I talked to Silimana Isifu, who is the Director of Research at the Center for Climate Change and Food Security. We begin by talking about Africa's major issue this year, which is the just energy transition. Take a listen. The just energy transition uh, basically it means that Africa is making the case that developed countries have developed as a result of burning fossil fuels. And now they are developed, they are industrialized, they have money, and they've created what we call intergenerational wealth. However, this is not the case for Africa. We are yet to develop, and yet we are being asked to move away from fossil fuels and move away from the natural resources that we have. So let's then go into it, um, because they are making these uh, requests at a time when the much of the developed world has said very firmly that they do not want to invest in new fossil fuel projects. There is no evidence that your fossil fuels have, you have reinvested your fossil fuels in, for example, renewable energy. Neither do we have evidence that your fossil fuels have been used to create intergenerational wealth. So how then are you justified to make an argument that we should allow you to use fossil fuels to create intergenerational wealth? So the developed countries are pushing back on, on these lines and um, Africa intends to make this case very strongly. So. Um, it's a tussle where we wait to see what will come out of uh, this discussion. How can Africa better push its own narrative and get the best out of these conferences? Well, I would say there is no narrative better than evidence. How look? I've seen that in 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 most of the African countries, we don't have enough scientific data. And if you look at even all the models for for example, estimations of climate change contributions and all of that. All these models come from the developed countries. So I would say that Africa should begin to invest in science, get our own data, and be able to make a case based on our own circumstances. If we allow people to tell us what is happening in Africa based on their own scientific inquiry, then definitely they will detect the pace. Yeah, finally and briefly, uh, what do you expect is going to come out of COP28, especially for Africa? Most people were surprised when the damage uh, fund was adopted. So uh, that was one. I mean, prior to COP, uh, most people or most activists and watchers like us argued that it would be difficult for Africa to get that fund adopted. But in the long run, that fund was adopted and that fund has been created, which is available to countries, developing countries. So um, we've not achieved everything that we want. For example, I mentioned the issue of the $100 billion which so far the developed world has been able to only account for 83 billion uh, annually, uh, pushing for the closing of the climate change financing gap. I think that one is a more concrete and realistic goal to pursue. And I think that that goal is what probably um, I think would be achieved. Sulemana Isifu is a director of research at the Center for Climate Change and Food Security. And we have been talking about what Africa can expect out of COP28, which has opened today mm -hmm. in Dubai. This is coming after COP27, which yes. was in Africa. Yes. Another COP. 
Yes. Negotiations ongoing. Yes. Of course, uh, talks are encouraged and we have people commenting on what do you want the ward leaders attending the meeting to know. And I'll begin with Joel Fields Mutomboto. You're saying both the UN and the West want to make Africa pay for the damages they caused to this planet. Of course, we need to contribute and raise awareness about the impact of climate change, but they have to do more. And Felix Indo says that Africa is suffering more because the leaders are not forming a united front to fight climate change. Nothing is stronger than unity. And as we've just learned in the interview, also scientific data. Mm-hmm. Chrissy Shea, you're saying we are seeing the impact every day, floods, droughts everywhere. And, and this is evidence, Ote, we're seeing it, it's happening. It is. It is. So when we talk about the effects of climate change, these are not far off things. These are not. These are tangible problems that people are facing every day, George. It's not a, a, a problem that the media is making. No, no, absolutely not. There are lots of coastal towns across Africa that are getting washed into the sea. And these are things that are happening every single day. So it's not a made up problem. It is real. <laughs> okay. Tell you what, we invite your comments and, of course, your insights about what you think about, you know, the ongoing COP28. And thank you for staying with us. If you just joined the show, this is DW Africa Link. And my name is George Okachi. George Okachi is here with me, Michael Uti. And we also thank you for joining us on our Facebook page, Mohamed Hashi, uh, David Inchamba, um, and lots and lots of you on our Facebook page. I cannot go through all the numerous names. Remember to share this program so that others can listen. Still to come on the show, Ghana's National Peace Council is calling on stakeholders to address the escalation of inter-ethnic conflicts in northern parts of the country. We must double our efforts to take care of the outstanding chieftains in conflicts that we have. Things as they stand now, especially where we have old chieftains in conflicts, where the people are still divided. We'll be getting to that story shortly. But first, let's head to Congo. The European Union says it will not deploy election observers to the Democratic Republic of Congo ahead of next month's polls due to, quote, technical issues. Mm. The union further insists that its team cannot spread out around the vast Central African nation because of security reasons. No, it's important to know that DRC is Africa's second largest country mm-hmm. with about 100 million people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's in grip of unrest with dozens of armed groups active in eastern parts where the UN peacekeepers and East African community troops are deployed. Now, the most important thing is campaigns for parliamentary and presidential election have been opened and the elections are set to be held in December 20th. Uh, that is about, you know, how many days to go? Should about, say? Uh, about 20 days from now. All right. So we did ask on our Facebook page, OT, what would be the impact of EU's decision not to deploy observer missions? And comments are coming in. <laughs> Lots of comments. Alison Wood says, the EU electoral observation has never been efficient or significant to any African state. So it is inconsequential. And uh, we have Maskoi Vandi say, I believe that with or without the so-called EU, Africa can conduct their elections. Takam Neswat says that it will have no impact. The so-called EU must stay away from African affairs once and for all. 
Joe Fields Mutomboto, you are saying just a reminder that all those armed groups, the MONUSCO, UN peacekeepers and the East African community troops are sponsored by the West. That is your claim. And you are continuing to say the West and its allies and friends successfully created chaos in DRC in order to avoid accountability for their endless looting. And yes, we have to emphasize the point that uh, we do not share your thoughts. Uh, these are your, your views on the matter. Uh, there's no evidence to support this. But we appreciate that you uh, share your thoughts on our Facebook page. But remember that keep it to the facts. And Dan Asabe says the EU should focus on Ukraine or deploy their observers uh, to Palestine. And we have uh, Gome Muhango who say most likely their preferred candidate will not win. Yes, so all of these are the comments that you have sent us on uh, the decision of the EU not to deploy its observers to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I was reading a rapid one, Oti, uh, someone asking, uh, does Africa deploy this observer mission to the EU whenever any EU country holds an election? <laughs> well, um, I have not seen the EU deploy observer uh, missions to the EU, um, so no. Well, keep your comments coming. Let's now go to Ghana. And Ghana's National Peace Council has expressed serious concerns about a recent escalation of inter-tribal conflicts in the northern parts of the country. Now, the council is urging the government and other stakeholders to intensify their interventions to quell the ongoing violence. The violence in Wenchike, a village in the northeast, has claimed the lives of four people, adding to the historic it's an inter-ethnic conflict in northern Ghana, where 80% of the disputes are centered around chieftaincy. Maxwell Souk has more. Various organizations, both governmental and non-governmental, have been actively involved in implementing conflict resolution and peace-building programs in northern Ghana. Yet, Chieftains' disputes persist and are on the rise. The ongoing fight in Boku, located an hour's drive from Burkina Faso's border with Ghana, has escalated into a conflict over the years. Security experts, such as Festus Kofi Orbin from the West African Network for Peace Building, emphasize the severity of the threat and the need for prompt intervention. In Mali, what Akim, Al-Qaeda and the Islamic Maghreb, now part of Jenin, did was to exploit the tensions between the Fulanese and the Dogon. In Burkina, they exploit the tensions between Fulanese and the Moshi. For our case, is that we have a lot of unresolved conflict around our border regions. So the tendency is that these guys could exploit the situation, support one group against the other, especially the group that feel marginalized in all this, against the other group and use that to pursue their interests. The National Peace Council has been mediating in conflict-prone communities over the years. Reverend Father Tadios Kusa, Executive Secretary of the Council in Northern Region, says there's an urgent need to scale up conflict resolution interventions. It's only a cohesive society that uh, can withstand the threats of the terrorism. We must double our efforts to take care of the outstanding chieftains in conflicts that we have. In, especially in our area, things as they stand now, especially where we have old chieftaincy conflicts, where the people are still divided, the vulnerabilities are deepened, and we are creating more space for the terrorists to take advantage of the situation. In Ghana, 
The state does not directly influence the enskinment and installment of chiefs, but spends substantial sums monthly maintaining chieftaincy-related disputes. While Ghana is viewed as a beacon of democracy in West Africa, local tensions marked by tribal and chieftaincy conflicts are common. In the latest wave of conflicts in the Wincheki area, four people have lost their lives, prompting increased security measures in the district. Zuweratu Mada Nashiru, the head of the Chirponi district, states that the Security Council is diligently working to restore normalcy in the area. We have beefed the entire area, Wancheki Dambu, and the neighboring communities with police and military. And they are doing hourly patrols throughout the 24-hour service. So because of their presence in the area, it's made everybody to remain calm. Data suggests that nearly 500 potential cases are pending before the National House of Chiefs, the institution mandated to resolve chieftaincy conflicts in Ghana. A comprehensive review of the chieftaincy institution respecting governance and democracy have been suggested as key solutions. Maxwell Souk with that report. And of course, we really appreciate that. And, and, and Mike, you come from that area. Is it so prevalent, the chieftaincy-related conflict in northern Ghana? Um, it flares up once in a while, but it's not a daily occurrence, I should say. Um, there are very large spells of peace uh, within the north of Ghana. But once in a while, when there's um, a, a new chief to be installed or where there are discussions about succession, then these conflicts um, erupt. Yes. So let's now uh, focus on some very amazing news. The Cameroonian First National Women's Convention for Peace is a winner of the 2023 German Africa Prize. Now, this organization uh, will be represented uh, by Salim Bwemain, Esther Omam, and Martha Vodou, and their Cameroonian leaders at the forefront of fighting for peace and women's rights in their communities. Now, in spite of the various social challenges like the Anglophone crisis, the Boko Haram insurgency, they are fighting for young girls and women to have a better life. And we talk about them, George, mm-hmm. in this following report, right? Yeah, definitely by Okeri Ngoshi Nado. Mart Wandu is a Cameroonian gender and peace activist who has dedicated three decades to preventing and combating sexual violence against children, particularly girls. She also cares for survivors of such violence. Wandu's approach involves a holistic focus on education, psychosocial care and legal assistance. My dream is that every girl and every boy has the possibility of going to school up to the level they aspire to. I witnessed the same problem in my village. Due to cultural reasons, people often claim that a girl who goes to school cannot be a good woman. She will not find someone to marry her, and she will just get pregnant. It feels disheartening that, even 40 years later, this kind of stigma and prejudice persist in villages. This is why we continue to educate families. Esther Omam, the executive director of Reach Out Cameroon, has been a key figure in mediating and addressing development issues in the southwest region through her organization. Her focus has been on empowering and advocating for women's rights to curb gender-based violence in conflict-affected and nearby regions. Currently, she coordinates humanitarian support 
for those living with HIV. We know that there's been a complete break in follow-up of, of, of uh, medication for people living with HIV and AIDS. We know that the community people cannot access health centers easily without being uh, afraid that they will be targeted. Now they talked about the need for markets. You will see the need for potable water, the need for safe education. These are the issues which they are facing. And I suffered those same things. And so it is very relieving for me and rewarding to know that we are touching lives, changing lives, and changing the narratives within a fragile context. Sally Bumin, a Bermenda-based reproductive health rights activist, through her organization Common Action for Gender Development, provides reproductive health counseling and support to survivors of sexual violence. Most uh, facilities are sexual and reproductive health rights, like provision of products for that, like the family planning unit. Some of them complain of having children when they did not plan because like in the communities where they find themselves, they don't even have a health service that does that. They, even when they advocate for mobile clinics to do that for them, they don't get it. So when we look at that, the women feel that they are cheated economically. They are cheated in terms of their well-being, bodily autonomy. They don't have it. And then in leadership, they do not have it. And they are victims to multiple forms of abuse and violence. The three women will be honoured today at the gala event in Germany's capital, Berlin. And Okeri Ingushinado with that report. And the German Africa Prize has been awarded since 1993. And I mean, it's in its uh, 30th anniversary. And I cannot imagine... Any better winners than uh, Sally Mbumien, Esther Omam, and Mate Wandu and their organization, the Coalition of uh, Women Groups in Cameroon. They absolutely deserve this award. I can't agree more. And another story we were following, Michael, is a popular Nollywood actor who was caught up in an attack in Cameroon's restive northwest region. And this actor goes by the name Sylvester Madu. And we did ask you, um, of course, people were commenting on our Facebook page. And we have Alan. It is, it was, it's his home country with relative and calm. And because of time... That's all we had. My name is George Okachi. And I am Michael Luti. Catch you in our next program. DW. Made for Minds.